Welcome to the Christmas at Kenosha City Church podcast. This message takes a deeper look at the Christmas story, but in chronological order. Enjoy the message. Let's have some fun this week. I'm going to do something I've never done before. It's called a chronological Christmas. I'll get into that in just a moment. But you know, it's Christmas time. That means that you need to get all your presents uh, figured out. All right, I want to talk to the men here for a second. I did this at Men's Ministry, Lead Men's Ministry, which was awesome. It was packed, uh, you know, wall to wall yesterday, our men's ministry. But I just want to do another survey here. How many of you need to start shopping? You haven't, you haven't started shopping yet, all right? You need to start, all right? Let's just raise your hand. Let's be bold. Let's be bold. All right. We have some really honest people here, all right? So some of you need to start shopping, all right? Well, guess what? Uh, you're going to have to go, probably go to Walmart or something because uh, I don't know if we're going to get your packages to the, to the door in time. So now when you buy... A bunch, of, a bunch of stuff, right? Um, what often happens is that, um, is that you have to wrap it. You have to wrap all of it. And so what I used to do is I used to, um, uh, I used to have other people wrap my presents. And Allison knew that I didn't wrap it, right? She knew that, oh, this is way too nice. And she said, Andy, I'm no longer allowing you to have other people wrap the presents you buy me. It does not show me love if you do not wrap it. And I was like, are you kidding? All right, uh, you're going to find out, all right? So, <laughs> and so I started wrapping the presents. I am terrible, all right? It looks like literally a three-year-old wrapped the presents. I get, and I get so angry at it, right? Like, I don't have anger until I start wrapping presents. I'm like, oh, it's, it's not long enough for this box. You've got to, I can't believe it. I've ran out of wrapping paper. Come on, man, right? Am I right? And it's like, this is crazy. And it's usually Christmas Eve. And so I'm running to Walgreens for more wrapping paper, right? And so I am just so frustrated. I'm sweating. And Allison loves every bit of my struggle. And when she sees the presents under the tree, and she sees that my kids can wrap presents better than me. And then here are my stack of presents. And it looks like literally they've already been unwrapped, but they haven't. It's just the way that I wrap them. She's like, now that, Andy, shows me love. And I was like, all right. All right. Well, at least you don't want perfection in your wrapping of your presents. And so, yes, make sure, men, that you have enough time to wrap your presents. A lot of you will be traveling. How many of you are traveling this Christmas? Anybody? All right. And in fact, the way that they measure it is if people that are traveling 50 miles or more, they say 150 million people will be traveling 50 miles or more for Christmas and 104 million of them will be traveling by car which means the roads are going to be nuts they're nuts already they're going to be nuts um, which means it really is okay to pray for your traveling mercies all right uh, you know you know when you, this is falling in hard times you know we have some comedians that say you know why do we always pray for our traveling mercies well you don't have to call it traveling mercies you could say dear lord i pray for a safe trip right i pray crazy people on the road don't get anywhere near our car all right i pray our car doesn't break down these are legitimate prayers pray them pray them because there are going to be a lot of people uh on the road uh, and and for those of you that have been in wrecks you you don't actually are you're not embarrassed to pray that uh, I remember one time I was in a almost head-on collision with a drunk driver. It was here in town, just off 52nd Avenue. 
And I was at, I was stopped in an intersection and I saw barreling at me speeds way above the speed limit, head on a car coming right at me. And at the last second, he veered back into his lane and hit a car that was stopped at a stop sign. He pushed him across 52nd Avenue and he kept going. Of course, I'm, my heart's beating. I turn around. I, the guy in the car, his car was all mangled up. He's like, just go, go find him. I was like, okay. So I went and found him I, in my little car. This guy had a pickup truck in my little car. I, I cordoned off the, 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 uh, the, the road. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think this is very smart. And I said, you're not going anywhere, sir. And then the Kenosha PD came by and they arrested him. It was like an episode of Cops, all right? And of course, the first thing they did is they asked for my testimony witness. And then they asked the guy whose car got smashed for his testimony witness. And then a few other people's testimony witness. Because of course, uh, for the drunk driver, he said he didn't hit anybody. And he said he was going to go to his house. But the house that he was in front of wasn't his house. You see, but his witness wasn't really a good witness compared to the other eyewitnesses. That together, between the evidence that was on the ground and everybody who saw what happened, they could, the police were able to put together a very concrete concrete and accurate story of what happened. You see, multiple witnesses, it's a good thing, but everybody said it just a little bit different. Everybody had a different angle at it. Everybody saw it uh, from just a little bit different of a vantage point. It didn't mean that the different witnesses from the different vantage points were all wrong, no, but together, collectively, it brought together a very accurate and real story. And that's what we have in Scripture, we don't have an accident in Scripture, no, but we have an eyewitness of a very important situation, a very important historical fact. It is the birth of Jesus. We have 66 books in the Bible which speak to the love of God for you. We have over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to the coming of the Messiah. And we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that together... Uh, we have an accurate picture of who the Savior is, Jesus Christ. And yet sometimes people will say, oh, we have four different Gospels, and they say it just a little bit differently in different ways, and therefore it can't be trusted. That would be like saying multiple eyewitnesses makes a situation worse if you just only had one, it'd be better. That's not true. We have together... Witness upon witness upon witness that together, when we put them together, we can see an accurate and we can see a powerful story emerge before us. You see, when we tell the Christmas story from the multiple Gospels, it's called a synoptic chronological Christmas story. And it's something I've never done before, and it's something I'm going to attempt in a miniature way. If I did it, if I did it complete, we'd be here for hours. So I'm going to do it in a miniature way. I'm going to weave together scriptures, and we're going to unpack the story of Jesus. Is that cool? John Piper, he put it this way. He said that the Gospel writers, they complement each other. They're like two people who have drawn portraits. And you look at the two and they've both drawn the same person, but the two drew the portraits, drew them, from, uh, drew them very differently. The Holy Spirit moved through the gospel writers perfectly to give us the timeless divine account of what we have today. Now, as we look at the gospel account today, we've all heard uh, the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? If I were to say, hey, I got a brand new phrase for you. I'm going to make t-shirts. Jesus is the reason for the season. You'd be like, Andy, um, you missed the memo. 
All right, that was like decades ago's bumper sticker. Still true, but you're not really on the cutting edge with something, you know, just, you know, kind of sticky there, all right? Like, um, okay, but Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Jesus is, just because it's something that is familiar doesn't mean it's untrue. Uh, Jesus indeed is the reason for the season. And usually we say this uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is because the season sometimes is over-commercialized. And so it draws us back uh, to why uh, we do this season to begin with. Sometimes people use this, uh, this phrase because of the secularization or the minimization of Christmas. Let's not talk about Christmas at all. Let's just call it a holiday. Like, no, 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 no. The reason why we have a holiday is Jesus is the reason for the season. But today I want to talk about this. What was Jesus' reason? Jesus is the reason for the season, but what was Jesus' reason of coming? Jesus' reason for this season is you. You are Jesus' reason for the season. Jesus came to this planet. He didn't have to. He humbled himself so that we can have a relationship with him. He created us to have life. Life abundantly. And yet our sins separate us from almighty God. You are Jesus' reason for the season. This is the reason why he came as the God-man in a manger. This is the reason why he lived to die, to go on the cross, to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You are the reason for Jesus' arrival. You are Jesus' reason for this season. So, if this is so, we're going to talk about three things. The first being this. Jesus has always been the plan. Jesus has always been the plan. Now, people often like to think of Jesus as a backup plan. You know, like when you're in trouble, right? Like, oh, Lord, oh, Jesus, please help me. Like, just look at a disaster video on YouTube, right? They're, they're dropping four-letter words, and then when it gets real bad, they stop the four-letter words, and they start calling out to Jesus, 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 please help, help me, help me, right? They, they say that there's no atheist in a foxhole. That's an old term in a war zone where if there's bombs dropping over your head, you are praying to God. You're not an atheist anymore. You're praying to God, right? But for many of us, Jesus is just that. He's a backup plan. We'll go to him when everything else is failing. We'll go to him when everything seems to be falling apart. We treat him as an insurance policy, as a lucky charm. But Jesus isn't just a backup plan. Yes, you can cry out to him. You can cry out to him any moment, any time. But he's not just a backup plan. He is the plan. He's always been the plan. And so let's see this plan starting in John chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're going to start the gospel story. John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is a plan by bringing light into a dark world. Jesus brings light into a dark world. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness does not overcome it. This is a fulfillment of a 
prophecy hundred years prior uh, written in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned and those living in the land of darkness. John 1 continues, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world when the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. John takes his gospel account before any other gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. John is the earliest. He goes back to the beginning. I've mentioned this in the last few weeks, if you've been with us the last few weeks. He goes to the beginning. He goes to creation, the very beginning of time. And he contrasts the theme of light in darkness. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, where God is creating the heavens and the earth, the first thing he said is, let there be light. And what John is saying is this. Christ is stepping into a very dark world. When Jesus came, he is the light to you and I. To a world that is tired, that is vulnerable, that's divided, that is hurt, that's addicted, that without Christ is without hope. Darkness in scripture means a number of things. It can mean sin, it can mean hard situations, but it's a major descriptor for Satan himself and his demonic activity. And it seems like, if we're really honest here, that we are living in very dark times. Uh, in Ecuador, uh, I know our team that was in Ecuador here, we faced some very demonic things while we were on the trip. There was one place that when we were up on the, the mountain of Calvary, where they would do satanic sacrifices, there, there was one place that we were praying over somebody. And I started feeling buzzing down my whole body. I didn't say it to anybody, but I got out of the place and my translator said, did you feel that? And I said, yeah, are you talking about the body buzzing? And he goes, yeah. And then Olivia, who was with us too, she's like, I felt that too. And I was like, yeah, well, we, did you see the altar in the room? There was literally a satanic altar in this person's living room. And I was like, the enemy didn't like what we were doing. We were bringing the light of the gospel into a room that has seen very dark things. But we don't need to be afraid of that. Because light overcomes darkness. If you've paid attention to the news, there's been a huge controversy in the Iowa Capitol. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm from Iowa, so if you don't know, uh, I keep track of Iowa a little bit. But the Iowa Capitol has captured uh, national news because part of the Christmas decorations was a nice little gift from uh, the Satanic Temple, Satan's Temple, they call it where they put up an effigy to Satan. A little goat head with some candles and, uh, you know. Uh, and so, again, people are outraged, especially Christians. Uh, it, it's insensitive, yes. It's provocative. I would say it's just straight up demonic. It was dark. The politicians said uh, that, that, uh, that they had to put it up because of, of uh, religious uh, liberties. But that didn't stop a former... United States pilot from Mississippi to drive all the way up to Iowa to destroy it. He bashed it into pieces. 
Now, don't mishear me. We aren't here to bash things we don't like into pieces, all right? We, don't, uh, we, we give the gospel. But that guy, when he did it, I was like, well, somebody did it, all right? So, <laughs> but this is, what, this is what got me. It's not just the darkness of the, the effigy to Satan. It was the reaction of a lot of people that were called themselves Christians online. They said, oh, we aren't being tolerant. These people weren't really Satanists. They were just a secular organization that used the imagery of Satan. I'm like, come again? Uh, you know, they're, they're, this is what one said. They, they promote civil rights and religious skepticism and social justice and secularism and separation of church and state and empathy amongst all people. My re- I didn't respond. I don't, I don't respond to people like this, but I, my response in my head was, you don't have to believe in Satan to be used by Satan. And if you're using satanic imagery, he's laughing at you, all right? We're in a world where people are literally becoming apologists for Satan. But it doesn't have to be that bold. It often comes in other shades as well. We live in a dark world. But Jesus said, he's the light of the world. He came to be the light of you and I. And I love what it says in John chapter 1, verse 5. No amount of darkness can overcome the light. In fact, let's do this. Sound team, let's shut the stage lights off. It got darker, didn't it? Got darker. Life sometimes gets darker. But the light doesn't minimize the darker it gets. It gets brighter, doesn't it? And this needs to be something for you and I this morning. Is that no matter how dark or how hard or or situations have happened in life, Jesus Christ has come to be our light. And the darker it gets, the lighter he shines. It's hope to get you through the darkness and bring you into the light. Nothing can overcome the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Jesus has come to be light. But he's also come to be king. The book of Matthew starts with a genealogy. Where John goes to the very beginning, the book of Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is usually called phone book territory for your scripture reading, all right? It's a large, giant genealogy. Some of you love genealogy for hobbies. Knock yourself out. Actually, there's some really cool things in here. What we see here first and foremost is that Jesus, the Hebrew of Yeshua, means the Lord of salvation, Christ means anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word of which we translate Messiah. And Jesus' line goes to King David 
and it even goes back as far as what we see here to the beginning of Israel, Abraham. So we pick it up, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile of Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. What we're seeing here is this. Jesus is coming from the Davidic line. The prophecy was that there would never not be a king to sit on the throne of the Davidic line. This king is no earthly king. Uh, this is King Jesus. You see, we like to rebrand Jesus into something palatable in today's life. Uh, Jesus didn't come just to be a Hebrew example. Jesus didn't come just to give us moral sayings. Jesus came to declare himself king. Not king in a country of physical borders. He came to declare himself king over all of creation, king of kings, lord of lords, name above all names, above all fame, above all kings and queens and presidents and CEOs and power brokers, powerful last names, personalities, the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no equal, there is only one. His name is King Jesus. And every breath, every king, and every person, and every person in this room, myself included, is on loan from Almighty God. And at some point, he calls the loan. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How many of you put things off, just in general in life? <laughs> I do, Right? There's some certain things you put off, especially things you don't really like to do. We like to do what we like to do, and you don't put that off, but you put off the things oftentimes what you need to do. Well, guess what? For many of us, we put off the things that we need to do with the Lord. And you may have heard that passage just right now. Oh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Okay, I'll just wait for that. Eh, wrong. When you die or Christ comes back and you're on your knees in that moment, it is too late. You gotta get right with God right now. And Jesus has declared that he's king. He was born in a manger in a humble way to live to die, to give you a chance, a second chance to be made right, to do it now. Jesus, Jesus is king. He came as king. Jesus is light in the dark world, but Jesus has come to be your redemption. Let's go to Galatians chapter four, verse four. That you don't think of the book of Galatians as a Christmas passage very often, but here it is. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into the hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Notice Galatians 4.4. When the time of completion came, when the time came to completion, when everything was in line for God's plan, he executed it. He brought it to fruition. He came to the manger. Let this be a reminder that God's timing is God's timing. Often we get upset because God isn't on our timing. But we need to get on God's timing. When we judge God by our timing, we often shrink God to what he's actually doing. And when the time came to completion, he came to be your redemption. 
When you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're no longer slaves to sin, but rather you're adopted. You're freed from the power of sin and you become positionally sons and daughters of the king. You become heirs of the kingdom. Jesus has come to be your redemption. He's come to be your redemption. So Jesus has always been the plan. He's always been the plan. If he's always been the plan, then number two, what's your response? Jesus is waiting your response. Jesus is not just some story that we're to know. He's not some story that we're to go back and forth to every year. He demands our response in some way this morning, right now. What's your response going to be? For some of you, you've never personally received Jesus. Oh, you've gone through confirmation. Oh, you've, you've, you've heard the different things. But he's not personal. What I mean by that? You don't talk to him. You've never placed your faith and trust in him. You're, you're maybe trusting your own works. You may be just trusting it's all going to work out in the end. But you don't have that assurance. You can know today that you have the assurance that when you die or Christ were to come back today, that you'd go to heaven. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is you can know right now. And so, what's your response going to be? Are you going to receive him right now? For some of you, you've been followers of Christ for many years, but you've grown complacent. Now listen, complacency just doesn't happen like one day you're on fire for Jesus, right? You're just like, yeah, I'm on fire for Jesus. And then the next day, I guess I'm complacent. Complacency happens slowly. Compromises, getting lazy, getting meh, letting the situations of life, letting, letting life become more important than God himself. When Jesus came to this world, it was not just something to watch or something to acknowledge yearly. It's an event that beckons our faith and trust and our response. Jesus is awaiting your response. And, and Jesus, he proclaimed himself in very dynamic ways when he came uh, to this world. We see a prophetic proclamation. In John chapter 1, verse 6, let's go back there. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Mark chapter 1, verse 2, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out of the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What we see here, and we sometimes don't talk about it in the Christmas story, is there was a forerunner. His name was John, John the Baptist. He was a preparer, a witness to the coming of the Messiah. He was not the light, but the one who was going to testify about the light. And this is so key. We can learn from John the Baptist and how we are to represent in our own life. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord, but John the Baptist never claimed to be the Lord. John the Baptist knew that he was a servant of the Lord. And when Jesus came, he said, I must decrease, so he must increase. And that must be our life. It's not about us. It's not, it's not, it's not about our Canoe City Church. It, it's, it's not about uh, whatever Christian things happening in the world. It's about Jesus. 
And the most that we should ever glow, it should be because people are seeing Jesus in us. And it's reflecting back to God. No one ever say that uh, the moon is on fire like the sun, right? No, the moon is bright at night, isn't it? But it's only because of the greatness and brightness of the sun is actually being reflected off the moon and it lights up the sky at night. May that be our life, that the glory of God is shining through so much in our life, that people see the glory of God through your words, through your thoughts, through your actions, through your priorities, through your generosity. Just like the moon reflects the glory of the sun, may your life reflect the glory of God. And that's exactly what John did uh, as he was the precursor to Christ. He was to reflect the glory of the Lord. So we see a prophetic proclamation. Jesus also brought about an angelic proclamation. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement. Wondering what kind of greeting this could be, then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth, who is going to have John the Baptist, pregnancy. The angel Gabriel visited the Virgin Mary. And again, as we've mentioned in the weeks past, uh, the word virgin is very important. A number of people are claiming Jesus without the miracles today. They want Jesus minus uh, anything supernatural. Or Jesus minus anything, uh, uh, if, you, if you mention anything that's, that can't be explained in the natural world, then I don't want anything to do with it. What I, what I want you to, to know is that uh, we worship a very supernatural God. And he breaks through the natural in very supernatural ways. And so people today, uh, the virgin birth has fallen out of favor for many people for this way. But Jesus was born of a virgin. And this is a necessary miracle. The sinlessness of Christ hinges on the virgin birth. Both the gospel of Luke and Matthew speak very clearly that Mary was a virgin that when she became pregnant and that the Holy Spirit brought the conception as a miracle. Just as Christ spoke creation by his word, the Holy Spirit allowed conception without an earthly father. This allowing 100%, uh, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man. And therefore the angel told Mary, do not fear. Now, we often see this with angelic visitations in Scripture. When people see angels, they're not like, oh, it's a nice angel, right? I heard about you on Oprah, all right? So this is great, right? Oh, wonderful. Uh, no, they're like, whoa, what just, what just showed up in my room, all right? Like, oh, am I being judged right now, right? And they're like, do not fear. Do not fear. We see this often in Scripture when the angel comes, do not fear. Or something amazing is about to happen. 
the Lord of the Most High is going to be upon you. Nothing will be greater. You know, the Most High. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it means. Nothing should be greater. Mary was going to be bestowed the greatest blessing of carrying the Messiah, the Most High. Is Jesus the Most High in your life? Right? When we think of high, we think of people getting high on drugs, right? Like, man, I just got the Most High on that, man. I was just great, right? And so, like, what, what, like people today want the next best thing. But God has already said it, that he's the greatest thing. And everything else is a counterfeit. God is the greatest thing. And anything else that we place above him, it is a false god. Anytime we choose not to be obedient uh, to God, we are choosing that thing to be an idol. And where do we have idols in our life? We probably have many. It could be relationships. It could be possessions. It could be sports, addictions, money. We need to hold our things loosely before Almighty God. Mary heard the angelic proclamation of what was happening, and she had to decide how was she going to respond. Remember, the message of Jesus Christ beckons a response. We see, now, so we see prophetic, we see angelic, and we see now a divine proclamation, a divine fulfillment. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, as we continue through the gospel message here. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, uh, did not want to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph heard what Mary said. And as I've said in the weeks past, he wasn't buying it. He's like, uh-huh. And so he decided, I'm going to divorce Mary. Now, they were engaged. As I've said in weeks prior, engagement in Jesus' time was a legal process. It required a divorce. Even though they lived separately, they did not know each other intimately, um, it still required uh, a divorce. And so he, was, he had his mind made up. This is what I am going to do, he thought. But notice this. He was going to leave her quietly. Uh, he did this to still honor Mary. He, he, could, he could have been vindictive. If Mary was uh, known to have a child and it wasn't uh, Joseph's, right? Uh, People would be like, she's an adulterer. And if Mary was labeled an adulterer, at the very least, it would have hurt her reputation. It would, have, it would have brought division in her family. It would have brought division in how she could raise money. She would have probably been poor the rest of her life. More likely, she would have been killed. And yet, Joseph, being an honorable man, didn't seek revenge, didn't seek to shame her, but to go quietly and say, you know what? This just isn't going to work. But God intervened and said, hold up there. This is actually from God. The circumstances of the birth of Jesus remind us 
that our life is not our own. Can you imagine Joseph? He's like, well, this was not my bingo card, right? And he had to, he had to immediately think, man, my life is not my own. You know what? There's going to be a lot of things that aren't on our bingo card in life. A lot. And you know what? Those are moments that we realize my life's not our own. It's not my own. It could be when you have to take care of a loved one and there's health issues. It could be a financial setback. It could be a, a health setback in your own personal life. It could be a number of things in your life and you're like, what in the world? And you realize, God, my life is not my own. You are Lord. You're in control. You are the light in darkness. I'm going to follow you. And that's exactly what Joseph had to do. Joseph had to follow God, had to follow his plan to the T. Jesus is waiting our response. Are we going to acknowledge that our life is not our own? Jesus' story, it, it beckons a response, doesn't it? Jesus is waiting your response. Number three, he's waiting your response because Jesus is a weary world's answer. Jesus is a weary world's answer. It's a weary world's answer because he compels our worship. Look at this, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and they said, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. There it is again, they're terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in a cloth lying in a manger, and suddenly there are a multitude of heavenly hosts with angels praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And the angels had left them and returned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message and they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that had been heard and said which were just as they had been told. The shepherds. This message is for everybody. The shepherds, the lowest people at this time on the societal totem pole. The shepherds, usually not the most moral people on the planet. The shepherds. And yet, what's the Lord refer to himself as? The Lord is thy shepherd. I shall not want. And yet, the very first people he reveals himself to are shepherds. Why? Because anybody and everybody who places their faith and trust in Christ alone has eternal life. I can't tell you how many, time I, how many times I tell people or I talk to people and, and I'm inviting them to church and like, well, if I went to your church, your church would just spontaneously just start, you know, catching fire, you know. 
You heard that before? Maybe you've said that before. I'm like, uh-huh, right. And so <laughs> what people don't realize is this, is maybe you came from a church experience where they said, you have to be really good. You have to dress a certain way. You have, to, you have to fold your hands a certain way when you come into the room, right? Like, you know what I mean? And it's not about that. It's literally come as you are. Receive Jesus Christ in your now. And let Jesus Christ lead you where he's going. Do you believe that, church? And that's why he showed up to the shepherds. He showed up to the shepherds. So he could demonstrate to you and I that Jesus is for anyone and everyone who places their faith and trust in him alone. The shepherds in faith left everything they knew to find the Savior laying in the manger. Jesus is above all names. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in rising and come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah was born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. You in Bethlehem in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them, the exact time the star appeared. So we see here now, we are now uh, far from the time of the birth of Jesus. It's becoming known that a Messiah has come. The kings of this earth are beginning to hear it. The wise men from Persia, uh, who were magicians, who then, uh, through the book of Daniel we read, began to read the scriptures and began to read the prophecies. And they read the prophecies correctly. They realized, we need to get to Israel so we can go see the Messiah. They show up. We realize that pagans walked 1,300 miles to see, the, to see the birth of the Messiah to where I believe they placed their faith in the Messiah right there in the manger because he came to set the captives free all around the world. Jesus Christ's gospel He's the name above all names, and he's for anybody and everybody who places their faith and trust in him alone. Philippians 2.5 says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the glory of God the Father. Everybody in this scene, which is in the future, anybody who's ever existed will bow their knee before they are separated to their destinies. Every king, every skeptic, every atheist, every follower of Christ, they will bow their knee to the king. And then, whether they place their faith and trust in Christ in their lifetime, will determine, will they spend time, eternity time, with that king? So this is your decision time. I want you to make certain right now 
you have a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that they sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. You must believe to receive. So let's just spend some time. Search your hearts. Let's just be a, a, a place of prayer. If you've been in here for a long time, uh, just start praying. Pray that people's hearts would open even. Let's just make this a house of prayer right now. As we all search our hearts, make certain, have you placed your personal faith and trust in Jesus? With every head's bowed and eyes closed. If today you know you need Jesus, if today you want to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, you want your sins forgiven, if today you want to place your faith and trust in Christ alone, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, if that is you, today you're saying, I am placing my faith in him alone. I'm going all in. I'm doing it today. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand right now? That's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Place my faith in him. If you're responding to him right now, let's pray. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping you connect with the Lord. Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong in my life. I realize I've sinned and I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. I want to follow you now. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.